We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the, Lord of, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, any, any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what, what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your, of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring 
For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before your holy presence. Thank you once again, dear Lord, for this beautiful day. Another day, Father, that we can be here. Father, as a congregation, as family, as friends, dear Lord, to come worship you, dear Lord, to hear your precious word, Father. And we just pray now that you empty us of ourselves, dear Lord, fill us with your spirit, dear Lord, to listen to what it is that you, Father, need to show us and need to teach us, dear Lord. Father, thank you once again for this day. Father, bless every person represented here, every family represented, dear Lord. And we ask you this in Jesus' most wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. You may all have a seat. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. All right, so today we're going to finish up the book of Haggai, but before uh, we, we dive into chapter two, I wanted to just give a quick recap for everybody's benefit of chapter one. Okay, so in chapter one last week, we learned that Haggai was commissioned by the Lord to stir up the people to do two things. The first was to rebuild the temple, and the second and probably most important was to reorder their spiritual priorities. And we see that in Ezra chapters 5 and 6. God also rebukes the returning remnant for their misplaced priorities. Sorry, that's a misspelling there. Priorities, right? We learned last week that the remnant, which were about 50,000 Jews, came back, and they were more focused on living a more comfortable life in their nice homes than focusing on what God had called them to do, and that was to rebuild the temple. Also, Haggai exposes through his prophecy their wrong priorities. And you remember, you may remember, but um, they were talking about how it wasn't God's time, right? It wasn't time. They kept trying to make their Excuses sound very spiritual and holy, and we know that that was not the case. And lastly, we see here that uh, obeying God is key. And how do we do that? It's by reordering our priorities. And they had to reorder their priorities in order to obey God. And lastly, we had closed last week with five things that Haggai is asking not only the people of, of Israel, the remnant that have returned, but I think it also applies to us nowadays. He asks us to do five things. The first is to examine our priorities to see if we are more interested in our own pleasures than the work of God. The second is to reject a defeatist attitude. That attitude of, oh no, the battle's already lost before it ever even started. He wants us to reject a defeatist attitude. Third is to confess our failures and to seek and seek to live pure lives before God. Act courageously for God. He is with us always and is in full control of all our circumstances, right? I know that uh, Charles Stanley likes to say that, right? He always says, leave the consequences, leave the circumstances to God. Just have faith, just believe. And lastly, Rest secure in God's hands, knowing that he will abundantly bless us as we faithfully serve him. And many times we have said it here from the pulpit, 
the best place to be is in the center of God's will. So now this takes us to chapter 2, right? And there are seven things that we're going to review today. And the first is the beginning of chapter 2, where they talk about the glory of the new temple. And we see that in the first three verses. So I'll put with me. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? So again, just like last week, Haggai points out specific dates and time references in his prophecy. He starts off by saying, in the seventh month. So this would translate to nowadays roughly the month of October, in the year 520 BC. And this was feast time in Israel, celebrating both the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the verse continues, who was left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Haggai spoke some 66 years after the temple was destroyed. And certainly there were some older people who had seen the beauty and splendor of the temple Solomon built for God. And we also see, if we turn quickly to Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. These two verses describe what those who had seen, the, for those who had seen the first temple, felt like before this prophecy of Haggai, when the work of rebuilding the temple first began. We see the men in Ezra chapter 3 weeping because they saw the temple in its former glory. And when Solomon built the first temple, he spared no expense and hired the best talent to do that work. The temple to be rebuilt couldn't match, could not match the majesty of that first temple. And as we go back to Haggai chapter 2, the verse continues. In comparison with it, this is in uh, verse 3, the latter part of verse 3. In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? These kinds of comparisons between the good old days and the present day, or between the work of God in various places and times, are rarely beneficial. It did not do the people of Haggai's time any good to think of how magnificent Solomon's temple was, was compared to their own rebuilding work. 
But we have to be careful when we compare any of God's work against God's work, right? Be careful. We fall into that trap often. Be careful of how we compare any of God's work against God's work. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, the smallness of our gifts may be temptation to us. We are consciously so weak and so insignificant compared with the great God and his great cause that we are discouraged and think it vain to attempt anything. The enemy contrasts our work with that of others and with that of those who have gone before us. We are, so we, we are doing so little as compared with other people. Therefore, let us give up. We cannot build like Solomon. Therefore, let us not build at all. Yet, brethren, there is a falsehood in all of this. In truth, nothing is worthy of God. The great works of others, and even the amazing productions of Solomon, they all fell short of his glory. A.W. Tozer suggested that this prayer, suggested a prayer regarding our tendency to compare and compete. And this came from his book, The Price of Neglect. And the prayer goes, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine. So be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts. Very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly, I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed, it is my own if it is thine own. For what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters, it is thou alone that giveth the increase. In verses 4 and 5, as we continue, Haggai asks us to carry on the work in strength and insurance, assurance. Verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. The high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The main theme here is what? To be strong 
and to work and to not fear. God gave the leaders and people of Israel three clear commands. The first one, work, because God is with us. Second, work, because God is working in us. And the third, take a wild guess, work, because God promises success. And I won't go down that rabbit hole of talking about society nowadays not wanting to work. But God commands us to work. Work because God is with you. Work because God is working in us. And work because God promises success. Each of these three were essential to getting the work of God done. Great things are not accomplished without action. The verse continues, I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, the same God that did great things in the past was among them today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So they could be encouraged, and they should be encouraged, right? And we all should be encouraged. Robert Alden, I think we spoke about him last week. Remember him, who Robert Alden was? Anna's looking at me. The Little House of the Prairie. He was a minister. Right. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, yes, he remembers. Robert Alden was a minister, famous minister. Uh, they they um, portrayed his life in the show, The Little House on the Prairie. Um, but he lived in the time of the 1800s. Very famous minister. And he once wrote, Undoubtedly fear gripped many of the returnees. Fear that God had written an eternal Ichabod. And what Ichabod means is the glory departing from them. Fear that God had written an eternal Ichabod over Jerusalem. So they were worried. They were afraid, right? Worried that God's glory, God's hand in their work had departed. So there was fear. Well, the verse continues, and look what, look what Haggai says here, that God says, my spirit remains among you do not fear. Now, this was a wonderful promise and should have given God's people great confidence. Yet, in the new covenant, we have an even greater promise. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was among the people. Under the new covenant, he would be in God's people. Verses 6 to 9 talk about why the rebuilt temple would be and will be more glorious than the temple of Solomon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will, have heaven and earth, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, once more, I will shake heaven and earth. We had talked about this last week, but this is the only portion of Haggai quoted in the New Testament. 
That was in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, for your reference. And it announces God's intention to shake the present order in his coming days of judgment. Verse 6 continues. They shall come to the desire of all nations. And notice in your Bible, I'm sorry, verse 7, how desire of all nations is capitalized. Desire of all nations. What does that mean? Well, many commentators see this as a prophecy of the Messiah coming to this temple rebuilt in the days of Haggai and Ezra. This understanding began with the ancient rabbis and continued among Christians and fits in well with the promise of filling the temple with the glory. But other commentators point out that this word for desire, again, notice how it's capitalized, desire, can also be translated treasures. We know that the Gentiles would bring tribute to the Lord in the millennium, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 5 says. But that won't bring treasure to this temple that was rebuilt in the days of Ezra and Haggai. The true desire of all nations is Jesus, even if the nations themselves do not know it. He is the one, the true reformer, the true rectifier of all wrong. And in this respect, the desire of all nations. Oh, if the world could gather up all her right desire, if she could condense in one cry all her wild wishes, if all true lovers of mankind could condense their theories and extract the true wine of wisdom from them, it would just come to this. We want an incarnate God, and you have got the incarnate God. O nations, but ye know it not. Ye in the dark are groping after him, and know not that he is there. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He also wrote the following. Knowing that Jesus is the, is the desire of all nations, he also encourages our missionary work. Brethren, I may add, Christ is certainly the desire of all nations in this respect, that we desire him for all nations. Oh, that the world was encompassed in his gospel. Would God the sacred fire would run along the ground, that the little handful of corn on the top of the mountains would soon make its fruit to shake like Lebanon. Oh, when will it come? When will it come that all the nations shall know him? And let us pray for it, and let us labor for it. Verse 8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. They didn't need to be discouraged if they didn't have the money for the, for the building project. They had to boldly trust the God who owns and owns every resource and then give generously. Now, when we really trust God, and we, I want you guys to pay attention, when we really trust God, we will give generously. If we really trust God, we will give generously. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to the regions of China, in the second half of the 19th century, 
experienced this principle early in his life. As a young man, he preached in boarding houses in the poor slums of London. A poor man asked Taylor to come back to his room and pray for his wife, who suffered complications from childbirth and was near death. The man had no money at all and couldn't afford to pay a priest to come and perform the last rites. Taylor went to the man's room and found the heartbreaking situation. Several children, the afflicted mother, and a three-day-old baby living in absolute filth and squalor with absolutely no money and no food. Taylor knew he had something similar to a $20 coin in his pocket that would have met their needs. But it was all the money he had in the world for himself. And he began to speak to the family about God when the Lord spoke to his own heart. You hypocrite. Telling these unconverted people about a kind and loving Father in heaven and not prepared yourself to trust him with your $20. Taylor wished that he had two $10 pieces and he would gladly have given them one. But all he had was this one $20 coin. He was taken aback, but decided to lead the family in the Lord's Prayer. As soon as he had said the words, Our Father, the Lord convicted him of his hypocrisy again. And as soon as he said the words, I'm sorry, he struggled through the prayer under tremendous conviction and then gave the Father $20 coin. That provision, it turned out, saved the life of the mother and rescued the family. The lesson is plain. Knowing God provides should make us more generous instead of less generous. Far too often our thinking is, I don't have to give to their need because God will provide for them some other way. Verse 9, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. The glory of this temple was in fact greater. First, Herod had remodeled the second temple into something greater than Solomon's temple. And second, the Lord of glory Jesus himself personally visited and worshipped there. That alone made it greater. And some scholars speculate that Herod remodeled the temple with the intent of fulfilling the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former so that he might fulfill it instead of the Messiah. And that verse, verse 9, ends, and in this place I will give peace. The promised peace here is shalom. And it means far more than stopping conflict. It is the establishment of a lasting, righteous order. Verses 10 to 14 talk about, or give a question, I should say, to the priests of the time. The word from God, clean and unclean. And this was a question for the priests. On the 24th day of the ninth month, 
In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread and stew, or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one, is, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is the people and so is the nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. So verse 10 begins, Will it become holy? Will it become unclean? Haggai questioned the priests, who were accustomed to answering such questions, right? about the transmission of both holiness and impurity. And the priests answered correctly according to the law of Moses. Holiness is not contagious, but impurity is. Now remember, a sick child cannot catch health from getting in contact with a healthy child. The healthy child becomes sick. Normally, the principle of transmission only works one way. So is this people, the verse continues, and so is this nation before me. Now on the same principle, living in the Holy Land and offering sacrifices would not make the people acceptable, as long as they themselves were unclean through that neglect of the house of the Lord. Since their exile to Babylon, the people of Israel focused on getting back to the Promised Land. By itself, this was a worthwhile objective. Yet it led to the thinking that once they made it back to the promised land, everything else would be good. And Haggai reminded them that their presence in the promised land didn't make everything they did holy. If the priorities of our hearts are wrong, nothing we do is holy to God. Joyce Baldwin, a famous Bible, a Bible commentator, once wrote, the ruined skeleton of the temple was like a dead body decaying in Jerusalem and making everything contaminated. Now we see here in verses 15 to 19 how God sees the people's change of hearts and promises a harvest of blessings to come. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When one came to the wine, the wine vat to draw 50 baths from the press, there were just 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree had not yielded fruit. From this day, I will bless you. I struck you with blight and mildew, and hail in the labors of your hands. Those experiences of God's chastening were real. But God's people did not learn from them. 
Difficult times don't necessarily bring us closer to God. Let me repeat that. Difficult times don't necessarily bring us closer to God unless our priorities are in order. But from this day I will bless you, the verse says. God promised blessings to his people if and only if they put their priorities back in order with him and his work first. Nevertheless, the blessings might not come immediately, and he did not want them to become discouraged, but to trust that, that from this day I will bless you. Now the final word from God. We see that in verses 20 to 22. God asserts his sovereignty. God is the ruler of the world. Verse 20, And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the, thro the, overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile, Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down everyone by the sword of his brother. Verse 21, I will shake heaven and earth. It was for the returning exiles to feel insignificant in this world, as if they were just pawns or spectators. God wanted them to know that though they were small in the eyes of the superpowers of the world, they were servants of the God of all power. They were on the winning side. And the writer to the Hebrews seems to refer to this line in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 26. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. The author of Hebrews then went on to make an application of the truth that God will shake heaven and earth. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that were being shaken, as the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. That's in Hebrews 12, verse 27. Haggai, 20, Haggai chapter 2, verse 22 continues, I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. This word of encouragement shows us that Haggai's messages from God were a mixture of rebuke and encouragement. God promised to fight for his people in his day of restoration. And rescue. And lastly, we see the chapter ends with a promise to Zerubbabel. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. 
I will take you, Zerubbabel. Remember that the signet ring was a token of royal authority, much like a crown or a scepter or a throne. And this is not a personal assurance only to Zerubbabel, for neither he nor his natural seed reigned in Jerusalem or rose to any special eminence in the kingdoms of this world. But we see here in the verse, for I have chosen you. Zerubbabel was truly chosen of God. If you remember in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, he's included in the genealogy as the grandson of King Jeconiah, the descendant of Solomon. Zerubbabel was in the line leading to Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. And there is also a man named Zerubbabel in the line of Mary. In Luke chapter 3, verse 27. But this seems to be referring to a man, a different man, with the same name. God used these two lines of ancestry for Jesus because he placed a curse on the seed of Jeconiah. As recorded in Jeremiah chapter verse uh, chapter 22 verse 30 he placed a curse on the seed of Jeconiah and that line was the royal line of David so if the Messiah was to be eligible for the throne of God throne of David and we see that in Luke chapter 1 he had to be of the legal line of David yet not of his seed Jeconiah was the last legitimate king of Judah and the royal house of David goes through him. His only successor was Zedekiah, his uncle who was appointed not by right, but by an occupying Babylonian ruler. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 24. Even at the end of his life, the Babylonians recognized Jeconiah as the legitimate king of of Judah. That's in 2 Kings chapter 25. Now, because Zerubbabel was a descendant of the last legitimate king of Judah, he could be legitimately recognized as the ruler, though not the king, the ruler of the returning exiles. So as we end here today, Haggai 2 ends with promises of restoration and more promises. And we see that in verse 23 with the distinct messianic title, my servant, right? Calls, he calls Zerubbabel my servant. Through him, God promises to use him faithfully. As we see in the resumption of the Messianic line, the Davidic line, in Matthew chapter 1. But the fulfillment of the promises made to Zerubbabel and the Jews has yet to be consummated. And we are in a similar condition like the Israelites nowadays. We must wait for the fulfillment of the promise. But the question that Haggai asks is, will we wait the way God wants us to wait? With faith and obedience. Will we wait as people who delight in the church of Jesus Christ? Or will we, or will we be passive people for whom the church is a dead body and they don't want to touch 
anything pertaining to the church? Or will we be active leaders? People who, and in dependence of divine grace, seek to build up the church. Our choices matter. Faithfulness and obedience are how God chooses to work out his purpose and uses his people to stir them to action. And the question that I will leave you with today is, will you be faithful? Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before your holy presence once again thanking you, dear Lord, for this time of listening to your word, this time of learning. Father, thank you for the principles here, dear Lord. They rang true so many years ago, Father, but as we know your word is living, Father, we know that these same principles apply to us nowadays. Dear Lord, we live in an apathetic society, a passive society, worried about everything else, Father, other than our walk and our relationship with you. And Father, sometimes that leads into the, the our community, Father, a community of believers, a, com a community of followers of Jesus Christ, dear Lord. So we pray now today, dear Lord, not only that you forgive us, Father, but dear Lord, that we work and focus on your priorities, and we make them our priorities, dear Lord. Father, you are our God, and Father, just thank you once again for being our God. Father, for showing us the error of our ways, dear Lord, and we just pray that this stirs in us the opportunity, Father, to just refocus our goals, which should be your goals, dear Lord, your work, not our work, Father your will, not our will. Father, we just pray now, again, for every member represented here, thank you once again for this day. Thank you for this beautiful book, Father, this prophecy from Haggai, Father. And we just thank you once again for this day. Dear Lord, we ask you now to bless the offering that we're about to receive. Thank you once again for another opportunity to give back all that you've given to us, Father, or some that you've given to us, dear Lord. And we ask you to bless this offering, use it for your honor and glory, multiply it, dear Lord, and bless the cheerful giver, dear Lord. And we ask you this in Jesus' most wonderful and holy name, we pray. Amen. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.